uh, this morning as uh, I, I was praying or this week as I was praying about the message, um, there were two words that really started resonating in my heart. And it's funny in our home, you know how parenting is, like there's themes that seem to come up in parenting. Like, you know, like you just kind of have to repeat the same phrase over and over again. And so the phrase that I've heard my wife say over the last six months, probably more than any other, uh, except for I love you. I mean, of course, he says that to me all the time. I mean, all that stuff. But, um, but the phrase that she's repeated time and time again to our kids are these two words, follow through. So, so when it comes in our home, like our kids, like, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they change their clothes and their pajamas, and where do the clothes end up? On the floor, not in the hamper. So mom comes behind them, and she says, your clothes are on the floor, follow through. Our kids, when they get dressed in the morning, their drawers come open, they get dressed, but what do they forget to do? Close the drawer. So mom comes behind them, and she says, follow through, close your drawer. They eat dinner. You know what happens when they eat, whether it's breakfast, lunch? They clean their plate, but you know where their plate stays? On the table. So mom says, follow through. Our school. I love our school, but doggone it, why do they have to have automatic plumbing? Because our kids have forgotten the step that comes after you go to the bathroom. Because our flush, they don't flush for you in our home. So mom will come behind them and she will say, follow through. I want to talk about the discipline or or just the idea of follow-through today. You know, in in, in athletics, um, think about throwing a baseball without following through. How about kicking a football without following through? What about, Ryan, next time you go golfing, I challenge you. Nine holes without follow-through. And let me know how many you finish. I mean, it's like a part of us. The follow-through is an important part of the process. I remember when I was learning how to shoot clay pigeons. You know what I mean? Like, they they, they throw them in the air. I like to point and shoot. That's what I like to do. Like, point and shoot. And what I realized was I was consistently behind the pigeon Or the clay bird that was in the air. Why? Because I wasn't following through with my motion. There's something about follow through when it comes to who we are. Our follow through tends to determine the effectiveness of whatever we're doing. Bad follow through equals bad results. I promise you Ryan's not going to go to a golf tournament and try to, to golf without follow-through. Because bad follow-through determines bad results. It doesn't matter how great his swing was up until he hits the ball. Without follow-through, we often get bad results. I want to talk about it. The context for Pastor Steve, this is where I'm at. Last week, like I said, was a super Sunday for me. I love the heart of what we were able to accomplish 250 roses altogether because 30 went to the school were handed out last Sunday through probably about Tuesday or Wednesday, somewhere in there, to tell people that God loves them. Awesome. Like, incredible. I love it. Like, Pastor, that's what makes me excited. You know what I mean? Like, that gets me going in the morning. But the thought process that was resonating with me was, okay, now what's the follow-through? Like, how does this not just be point 
and shoot, but what is the follow-through that we do in life? Now, I want to tell you, we're going to look at some stories in Scripture today that God's people really aren't good at follow-through. I mean, this is something we've struggled with. This is something that I've struggled with. This is something that, that I think we see time and time again in Scripture, that we're just not the greatest with follow-through. I'm going to pray, Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that we're here. We thank you that you want to speak to us. We thank you that you've prepared this place for us today. We ask that we would hear, God, simply what you need us to hear. That we would speak what you need to be spoken. That your will would be accomplished in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. James kind of writes on this. I'm not working yet, Miss Nina. I don't know. There we go. Perfect. James kind of writes on this in his letter. Now, the book of James, just real quick, uh, is, a, is a book that was written. A lot of the epistles we see Paul wrote them to specific churches. So he knows the church and their problems. James was kind of written to a more general church audience. That's why I like James, because, I mean, it's like nuggets of truth. It's like um, really good truth for us when it comes to application. It's only a few chapters, so it's an easy read, but there's a lot in those chapters. That's why I told Tam to start women's Bible study there. That's where men's Bible study started. I mean, it's just one of those go-to books for me. Uh, If you're ever looking for a place to start in Scripture, just go to James. It's a good place to get started because there's probably something you'll read that applies to you. Anyway, in the midst of these nuggets, he has this one that I want to read right now. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, I just want to say, who here wants to be blessed? I think follow through is an important application for being blessed. So what does he say? I mean, this is a silly analogy. Who here wants to forget? Most of us look at the mirror for a reason, right? Some of us, we don't have to look at the mirror as often anymore. It doesn't take us as long to get our hair in place, hair, singular, in place. But most of the time, we're looking at the mirror for a purpose. For some of us in this room, that purpose is to adorn ourselves with wonderful makeup. Right, Levi? For others, we're looking at the mirror to get our hair in place. We're we're looking at the mirror uh, to see what we look like. How foolish is it if you look at the mirror, but you don't follow through? So I checked it out. I checked out myself in the mirror, and then I walked away, and I started applying my makeup. He forgets what he looks like. He said, it's like the man who hears from God. But doesn't do. I hope that in the course of this year, we've been hearing from God in this room. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines. We've been talking about things that can apply to our lives. I bring this up in the middle of January because most people who had a New Year's resolution in, in, in this year, they've either forgotten or, or, or forgone their, their resolution by this point. Like, it's a good time to talk about follow-through. Like, we started 2022 with these great ideas, and then by the middle of February, like, that was a great idea for someone else. 
We've talked about spiritual disciplines, disciplines like Sabbath, disciplines like confession and submission, and disciplines like guarding our heart and making disciples. And we've heard that in this place. We talked about demonstrating the love of God last week. But my question is, are we doing or are we just hearing what God has? Hearing is like impact. Doing is the follow-through. How's your follow-through? Some stories from Scripture. Genesis chapter 11. Story of a man, and I'm telling you what, I'm glad that I'm not Terah. Terah, however you want to say his name. Dude gets like five scriptures, five verses. He's Abraham's father, Abram's father. It says that one son dies. And so here we are in Genesis chapter 11. Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to where? I know it's a little bit hard to see. That's orange and black, maybe. I don't know. To go where? To Canaan. They're heading out to Canaan, right? But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived, or Terah lived, 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, I want you to look at this map. This map shows what they were doing. Now, where did God, where did they set out to go? Canaan. So Canaan is this area over here. So they left Ur. Now, I'm not sure if he was directionally challenged or they had something to do. But anyway, the path that they took, they went north up here to this town. Now, I have an idea. Now, look at this. Do you notice this right here, these two black lines? That's the Fertile Crescent. That's, that's rivers. That's good travels, right? Haran was where his family was from. That's where, where he was comfortable. But this, to me, is all good travel. Like, hey, we're right by the river. Let's go catch some fish and have dinner. What's the next leg of the journey look like? I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot of fishing unless we, we follow the coastline. Do you know what this all is? Hot, ugly place. It says that he set out for Canaan. But he only made it to Haran and he settled there. Where is this follow through? Because Canaan, here's what we find out about Canaan. Genesis, this is chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, after his dad dies, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on all earth will be blessed through you. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree, of Morah at Shechem, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Does anyone know, I'm going to go back to this, what Canaan truly is? It's the promised land. Pharaoh set out for the promised land. I know it was promised to Abram, but that's what he set out to do. But he got to a place, Haran, which is where his family was. It was comfortable. And they didn't have to go the rest of the way through the hard journey. And he settled there. What would he have seen? What might he have experienced if he went on to the promised land? You don't follow that one? Well, let's look at this one. 
1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember, Israel, it's been governed by judges. Like that's what they wanted. And the people were tired of judges, so they asked for a king. When they asked for a king, Saul became king, and he was serving as the king. And now as the king, they had some great moments, but here's a moment. 1 Samuel 15. Now go attack. This is God talking to King Saul. He's giving him a pretty clear instruction. Go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle, and sheep, camels, and donkey. He's pretty clear. What is Saul's objective? Complete annihilation. Now, these verses are hard for us sometimes. Our, our compassion in us says that's just crazy. But that's what Saul was asked to do. So Saul summoned the men. So he started. He mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. 210,000 soldiers. That was quick math. And Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Canaanites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites moved away from the Amalekites. I'm just going through this pretty quick. So then Saul attacked the Amalekites. He's doing what God told him to do. Way to go, Saul. I'm proud of you. All the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, Alive. And his people totally destroyed, or and all, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army, they spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves, the fat calves and the lambs and everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Now, we see what, what happened was he was told to do what? Complete annihilation. So follow through is what? Complete annihilation. There's no kings that get spared. There's no fat calves. And there's no cows and sheep that get spared. What God told you to do was, was very direct. And I mean, this is, this is some hard stuff. And I get it. We need to be mature to understand this because I don't understand it sometimes. But the reality is this is hard stuff that he set out to do. And they begin to justify. What does he say when he's asked about why he, he kept the fat calves and, and why he kept the sheep and the cows? We want to offer them to you, God. But God didn't tell him to save some for him. God told him to go and complete his story. Do you know what happens to King Saul because of this decision? He's no longer king. Because he couldn't follow through. See, he got up to bat and he went to swing, but he hit the ball somewhere it wasn't supposed to go because he stopped on the follow through. One more. We're jumping ahead just a little bit. 586 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar has gone and he's destroyed Judah, the southern kingdom. That's what he's done. And so with all the Jews in 586, he sends them into captivity. And they're in captivity. They're living in captivity for 50 years while he's the king. King Nebuchadnezzar dies, and Cyrus becomes king. And one of Cyrus' first acts as king is he says, you know what? Those people, when, when, when King Nebuchadnezzar came in, they went into Jerusalem. They destroyed everything. They were better than King Saul. They destroyed it all. They completely annihilated it, whatever. Um, but the temple was completely destroyed. 
And so Cyrus said, you know, it's silly to have these Jews in captivity, 50,000 of them. Let's send them back to Jerusalem with one task. You know what that task was? We're going to send them back, and they're going to get to rebuild the temple. 50,000 of them. They actually said they had some of the, uh, the supplies or furnishings from the original temple. Cyrus gave them to God's people as they, as they went back to rebuild the temple. He sends them back for this purpose. Now imagine you've been in captivity for 50 years. You have the opportunity to go back to town. You can read it in the book of Ezra is where you see some of this. And then we're going to read in the book of Haggai a little bit this morning. But you have the opportunity to go back and you get to rebuild. So it says that they were good. They went back. What was the first thing they did? What was the first thing Abram did when when God spoke to him about the land would be his? It says they built an altar and they worshiped the Lord. God's people were good. They were sent back with a task. That task was to rebuild the temple. So they went back, they built an altar, they all rejoiced, they had a great Sunday morning service, everything was great. So if you're a builder, what's the next thing you're going to build? We got the altar figured out. What's the first thing you need to build if you're building a house? A foundation. I'm glad we got some builders here. Some people, I don't know know what yours is going to look like, but we're supposed to build a foundation. So they go and, and they set out and they build the foundation. Things are going great. They get the foundation done, you know what they do? They rejoice, they celebrate, they have a great Sunday morning service. But then the Samaritans, they're not liking what they're seeing. And they start talking. And they start distracting them and they start discouraging them. And God's people, for whatever reason, they get distracted from what they set out to do. So they're tired of hearing from the Samaritans at the temple. They go home and they start working on their house. Bored years of working on their house. From the prophecy of Haggai that I'm going to read here in a little bit, they were doing really good on their homes. Like you got 14 years to build this. They went out and got the nice cedar and they carved it down. It wasn't that wood paneling from every home in the 1980s. And the prophet comes to them. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. What? What are you waiting for? Like you were sent by Cyrus 14 years ago to get this thing, 16 years ago, two years to get the foundation and altar built. 16 years ago to get this accomplished. And you're now saying the time hasn't come yet to rebuild the Lord's house? Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? While the house, this house, remains a ruin. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. How's your follow-through? Give careful thought to your ways. How are you doing when it comes to following through with the things or the ideas that have been set before you? My kids just simply get distracted. They've got other things to do. Sometimes we just get distracted when it comes to our follow-through. 
Sometimes things are really comfortable and really nice, and we know it's going to be really hard, the journey that's ahead, so we just stay where we're at rather than follow through. Sometimes we're convinced that we know more than he. And my way is going to be much better than the way that he set out before me. I can do it better than he said. And so we start to do it our way rather than his way. And we mess up and, and we kick the ball into the stands. And Sometimes it's just not a priority. I'll get to it when I get to it. Like there's always tomorrow. I mean, it's not really yet time. I mean, we say it's foolishness, 14 years, and they haven't rebuilt the temple. It's not time yet. I can't tell you how many times as a youth pastor and a pastor, I've sat down with someone who says, I will later. Like, it's just not time yet. I want to do some things first. I want to live life first. I want, I want to do things my way for a while. It's not really time yet. It's not really a priority yet. When I get old and gray, that's when I'm going to die because that's when I know I'm going to die. And so I'll worry about it then. Like, we'll worry about the tabernacle when we're going to have church. We'll get the temple built when you got a, a service scheduled. No, the priority was do it now. God wasn't saying go be homeless, but he was saying at least build the tabernacle too. But sometimes, whether it's because we're distracted, whether it's because we have our way of doing things, whether it's because we're comfortable and we're afraid of what lies before us, or we're simply not making it a priority, we neglect to follow through with what God has called us to do. This isn't who God is. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. See, Paul had a confidence in God. God was a God of follow through. See, his confidence in God, you know, was that God is a God of follow Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's who God is. That's what he's known for. If he starts it, he's going to finish it. God is a God of follow-through. Paul's saying that. I pray with joy for you because I know who you are and I know who God is and that can only mean good things. Being confident, I have an assurance that the God who began something in you will bring it to completion if you allow him. That would be me tagging on to Paul's letter. Like, yeah, he'll bring it to completion if we let him. <laughs> if we don't stay in Haran, if we don't start doing it our way. <laughs> He'll, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. James 1. You guys can come forward. It says, don't, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Do you not know that, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, 
but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I don't know what God has spoken to you. I don't know what places God has told you to go. I don't know what battles God has encouraged you to win. I don't know what tasks God has set before you. But I know that God wants you to follow through. I was sharing in Sunday school, when we do the roses, I believe that God places people on your heart for a reason. You know, Pastor, I got this crazy analogy of for what ministry looks like. And, and you guys have heard me talk about it, but I just want to reference it really quick. It's Nikola Tesla and his earthquake machine that everything has a natural frequency. And if you can touch that natural frequency enough, it will cause an earthquake. He was a crazy man who had an incredible theory about spiritual things. We're all created with a natural frequency of the love of God. I will tell you, the love of God resonates with everyone in this world's heart, whether they recognize it or not. The love of God, it's what compels people. The love of God is what transforms people. It's not wise and persuasive words. It's the love of God that works through us, His hands and feet. And my encouragement was by giving a rose, you were simply tapping on the natural frequency that is in every person, or can I call call it the supernatural frequency, which is the love of God. So that was one way to touch with the love of God. What do I need to do next? See, everything's got a frequency. I'm not a physics guy, but I understand it goes up and down. There's that wavelength, you know what I'm saying? And so Tesla says, if I can just touch it every time it comes up, eventually it starts to disrupt things. And as I touch it, his theory was that he could make buildings fall. Simply by a, a machine that was the size of an alarm clock that just tapped on the natural frequency. God needs you to be impacted. God has placed people in your life for a reason. I'm not saying everyone you gave a rose through, you're supposed to say, come follow me. But I am saying, consider what God has started. Consider what God is saying. And is there a way for me to follow through with that. If it's not the roses, maybe it's something else. Maybe it was a promise that he made to you one night. Maybe it's a word that he spoke to you in one church service or at a church camp. Maybe it's something that God has been speaking to you that you're just, you've, you've got distracted or you've got discouraged and you haven't continued on. I want you to follow through because I believe that there is incredible blessing that comes. We will be a blessed People, I'm not talking about you're going to have fancy cars and big houses. I'm talking about you'll be blessed by God. It's all in our follow-through. Father, I come to you today, and I thank you for this word. And I thank you that as clearly as you spoke to Abram, and as clearly as you spoke to God's people you speak to us and 
And God, I pray that you would speak to us. Maybe we can see the moments where we didn't follow through. Maybe we can see the moments where we settled. But God, you're saying it's time to go. Maybe we recognize that the last week was the beginning of something and we just want to walk with you. You said, follow me. I believe that you'll lead us in how we're to go, God. I believe that you'll show and you'll reveal and you'll speak. That's who you are. You've placed the Spirit of God inside of us. We have the the, the, the Spirit of God living in us. We are an anointed people. want to see your plans fulfilled. God, my heart as a pastor is that we would recognize how great your love is and that others would come to know your love because of what you're doing in us and through us. My heart as a pastor is that that our community would recognize the love of God. My heart as a pastor is that walls that have been fortified to separate you from their lives would be broken because of the continual touch that you're doing in us, Lord, that we would be a people who, who hit home runs, God, that we would be a people who are successful in what we're doing, God, because of our follow-through. pray that you help us. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask that they sing whatever song they picked out. I'm going to ask that you just spend a little bit of time reflecting, stopping and thinking, pausing and pondering, what is God speaking? And when he reveals, then follow through. I hope this morning's been a mirror. You've been able to look at yourself. That as God spoke and and shown that that you looked at yourself and so like James says, don't be foolish. Don't go away and forget what God has spoken to you. Your good idea might be promised land in your life. might be the presence and power of God for your community simply because I looked I heard and I did the Lord bless you and keep you may he make his face shine upon you be gracious to you may he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace and may you not just see may you not just hear but may you be known for your follow through Amen? Ken Griffey Jr., the greatest swing that's ever happened in baseball. Because he had a great follow-through. I want to be known for my follow-through. Amen? Be blessed.